With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, sports fans. This is the Silver and Black Pride cast. We are back. It is Chiefs week, but... Since these two teams, the Raiders and the Chiefs, are about as far apart as their record suggests, the mirror image 9-2 versus 2-9, and nine, Tyler Smith and myself, Levi Damon, are going to take a little bit of a, a bigger picture look. Um, you guys might recall uh, a week or so ago, we um, asked for some questions in a mailbag, and I saw a couple of people were wondering, uh, what happened with the answers with these this mailbag? Well... This is what's happening to happen with them. We are using those mailbag questions to answer them in this podcast. And, uh, and you know, to be honest, we got some pretty damn good questions. So more questions than than we could probably fit into one podcast, which is great. So we really we really appreciate all the people who came in, all the readers who came in and asked some of those great questions. We will, uh, Tyler, you wanna you wanna get things started off? Yeah, we got a bunch of great questions, but well, both of us are going to take five questions today, uh, and I'll start asking you your first one. Uh, reader NJCCC asks, Levi, right now, do you think Carr is the long-term answer quarterback, and or are you at least on the fence? If not, what should be done with him? Well, I would say that I am definitely on the fence, for sure. Um this has been a question that's come up a lot lately, even before the season, and and I've had pretty much the same answer that that I think Gruden is waiting to see how Carr performs this season before making a judgment. Uh, hey, he may even wait a couple of seasons before making his final decision. It would kind of depend, in part, on how Carr performs, and uh, and also in, in part with uh, really what's available to replace him because you don't want to be like uh, we made our decision, Carr's not our guy, and then you know you get rid of him without anything. You know, without a quarterback to come in, that's to replace him, whether that's free agency or the draft or whatever. It also could depend on what an opposing team would offer in a trade. I mean, much like we saw with Amari Cooper, that situation, uh, a, t- a team stepped up and gave a first round pick. And I'm not sure the Raiders were expecting that. And uh, you, when you have that kind of offer, you have to consider it. And the Raiders took it. And uh, now, obviously, that pick to the Cowboys is falling with every win. But uh, in general, a first-round pick for Cooper was a pretty good deal. What's interesting as well, and it might be worth watching, with uh, Cooper's able to do in Dallas with Dak Prescott as quarterback as opposed to Carr. Uh, That's uh, something worth noting because how he performs with somebody else as his quarterback could also, you know, kind of go and be kind of something to stick a pin in on whether – whether they think uh, Derek Carr is the guy for the future. And uh, so that could be pretty telling as well. Yeah, I'll shoot a question to you, Tyler. Lavrentiel asks, how important is the position of running back in the Raiders' scheme of things? Is it overrated or indispensable? You might add some mention of past Raider running backs in your assessment. Well, I think when you look at the Raiders overall throughout their entire history, Running back has been incredibly important to the success of the team. 
normally when you look at an NFL team, you can sort of measure their time and their different eras of their team by who their quarterback was. Uh, the Raiders aren't necessarily one of those teams. Uh, they had Daryl LaMonica, then they had Kenny Stabler, and then they had sort of a while there where they didn't have really excellent quarterback play. Uh, and now they have Derek Carr, and he's sort of the new era of Raider football. But what they've always had is good play from running backs. They've had some really hard-nosed, great running backs back in the 60s and 70s. And then they have Marcus Allen, and then they have Bo Jackson. And then you think about guys like Tyrone Wheatley and Charlie Garner. You know, and that was sort of the era that John Gruden started out with. And now we have Marshawn Lynch, but he's on the IR. And so we've got Doug Martin and we've got Jalen Richard. And I think those guys fit into the the Gruden playbook. They like to they like to throw to the running backs a lot. They like to have guys who can both run up the middle and they like to have guys that they can pass to in the flat. And I think running back is one of the most important positions in the John Gruden offense. And I think historically it's one of the most important positions for the Raiders overall. It's something they really like to focus on. They always like to have a really good guy at that spot. And, and I think they're going to add at least one or two more guys uh, in the next year going forward because I think that's a, that's a spot you just can't have poor play as a Raider offense. Yeah, if I might add, you mentioned some of those guys um, it went with Gruden in the fir- in his first stint. He had Tyrone Wheatley, and then he had Napoleon Kaufman and Charlie Garner. But he he always had that two headed attack. He liked to have that smash and dash, thunder and lightning, two running back, you know, backfield for the Raiders. And I don't see that changing now. And I don't necessarily think that Doug Martin is that workhorse that he needs. He'd pro- I think he'd he'd like to have a guy like Marshawn Lynch or another another big uh, bruising back to get in there and uh, and to, you know, for them to switch off the change of pace situation. Yeah, that's definitely a position I think they need to address um, for the 2019 season. You know, because I think Jalen Richard is perfectly fine as a guy who can catch passes, sort of that dash role. But I think they need somebody who's a strong runner between the tackles and going forward. And I think they're, they're really going to work on addressing that, whether through the draft or, or through free agency. They're going to get somebody for that role. Um, so the next question that we've got for you, uh, Tony Sousa asks, Levi, if the Raiders select number one, do you see them going defense or offense? Would Gruden pass a player like, like Nick Bosa for an offensive player instead? Well, it uh, well, it kind of goes back to what that last question was uh, in a way about Derek Carr because the only possible reason I could see Gruden going offense over defense with that top pick is if it was a quarterback. And he would only do that if he were he had decided he had given up on Derek Carr. And also playing a hand in this is what quarterback would be available. I mean, Justin Herbert is obviously is the top guy, obviously, but it's still uncertain whether he's even going to declare for the draft. So if he doesn't, then that, that could be a major factor as well. I mean, you just you think, well, if there's not a quarterback worth that high of a pick, you know, you got you, both of those things have to be true. They're, they have to have given up on Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, or I can't imagine who else um, would be have to be available for that to happen. Otherwise, they, they're going to they're going to go defense to the top pick. I mean, Gruden may be an offensive guy, but his track record with the Bucks has leaned heavily. Um, has has not really leaned heavily that way. You look at it and you see a lot of offensive guys in his first few years there. But if you recall, and Raider fans should definitely recall, that was because the Bucks' defense was its strength when he took over the team. So he was, you know, he had to he had to build up the the offense. And uh, and you know, the first couple of years they didn't even have a, they didn't even have first round picks because they traded them to get him. And, uh, you know, his highest pick, his highest draft pick ever 
was the fourth overall pick, and that pick he used to get defensive end Gaines Adams. So that should tell you something about what his about he how he's not kind of married to getting offense with a high pick just because he's an offensive guy and. The Raiders absolutely need defense. There's really no secret there. And there's even even as much of an offensive guy as uh, John Gruden is, he he um, he can see he can see the need for defense the same way that anybody else can. All right, question for you, Tyler from Bama Raider, 1953. Even before that recent story about the Raiders' offensive line now being one of the worst in the NFL, I was already projecting the Raiders to take another offensive tackle in the first round of the next draft. Do you think this makes sense? Yeah, I do. If you look at the more successful teams in the league, the teams that are consistently at the top of their division, the the teams that consistently win 9 or 10 or 11 games, they always start by drafting in the trenches, whether that's with defensive line or offensive line. And if you look at the Raiders right now, they basically have a black hole at right tackle. And they're trying to put Brandon Parker in there just because of injuries uh, to Donald Penn and to some others. And he's he's okay at best. And I I think he's pretty been pretty much been consistently mediocre this season. I don't mind having Colt Miller as the left tackle of the future, um, but I'm not sure if Brandon Parker is the right tackle of the future. Uh, and I think in round three or four or even five of this upcoming draft, you can find an offensive tackle who would fit the system, who could zone block if they won't even want to keep Tom Cable on staff. I think you can find somebody who can fill that role a lot better than Parker has so far. So I'm always, always in favor of taking offensive linemen and defensive linemen whenever you possibly can. Well, I mean, just to be clear, though, the question was in the first round, you were saying taking one in the mid rounds, which I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And I think um, I agree that taking one in the mid rounds or or even like signing like a mid-tier free agent or something, someone to come in there and basically just compete because I think they want to give Brandon Parker a chance to um, improve and, and, and develop. I think they knew bringing him in that he was going to be, he's going to be raw the same way that Colton Miller needs to, needs to develop. And, uh, and you know, when they got, they got three first round picks, but they also have needs at pretty much every single position. So yeah, uh, this is not the year to take yeah. an offensive tackle in the first round for the Raiders. There's only a couple of offensive tackle prospects that I would even give a first-round grade to. Greg Little from Ole Miss is one of them, but I think he's a top-ten pick, and I, I don't think the Raiders are going to even try to land him. So I would most certainly this year wait for a mid-round uh, opportunity to draft an offensive tackle. Okay, next, so ask away. next question for you. Raider Code asks, will Reggie be fired in the offseason? And if so, any idea on who a replacement might be? Well, I don't think Reggie will be fired. But I can absolutely see him resigning. Uh, he's been. Uh, that's not to say that uh, I'm. There's like any inside information on that. But if you just, if you look at the way he's he's been pretty pretty disrespected the past few months um, with his drafting, you know, getting dragged through the mud by Gruden and his draft picks getting traded away and cut left and right and and, and no one buys that there is an equal partnership happening in personnel decisions let's get that right out of the way that uh, Gruden makes the call he, for he makes the final decisions and and I mean you can bet that Reggie wasn't crazy about the idea of going through a second rebuild in five years either uh, all I know is if I were in his position right now I would feel like my time with this team has run its course and and it was time for a change of scenery uh, he's right now he's probably feeling like uh like he's kind of having his duties 
all kind of taken away from him because he's a longtime personnel man. And now he's kind of, uh, he's to say he's taking a back seat is kind of, is a bit of an understatement, it would seem. And, uh, and he, he can't be too pleased with that. Uh, he's, and I, I couldn't blame him, not in the slightest. Who replaces him? Um, well, uh, not Bruce Allen. I, I, I'm not saying that um, he won't, but please not Bruce Allen, I guess. Uh, Scott McLuhan might be a good choice. That, that that would be the first name that would come to my mind. Uh, these are just the names that come out of it. You know, we can't really predict past these, like, known guys because there's so many, like, you know, other people in, the, in front offices across the the uh, NFL that we just don't have uh, on the radar who could who could be escalated into into that role with the Raiders or or whatnot. But uh, those two guys are the only names I can think of. Not Bruce Allen, please, not Bruce Allen, um, and maybe Scott McLuhan. All right, so uh, Tyler, for you, Raider two hundred eight asks, what is your dream scenario with the Raiders first round? pick in 2019 well i've thought about this a lot. all of them picks plural. yeah there, there will be three at, the, at least if we don't trade down and that that's fantastic maybe well, what if they package them and trade they, up? they could so, do yeah. that too but assuming that we have the three first round picks our own we have the cowboys and we have the bears the problem that we have is the players that we traded to the cowboys and bears have made them significantly better uh, while simultaneously making the raiders significantly worse uh, so we're going to have a pick most likely in the top three, whether we have the number one pick or not. It depends almost entirely on how well the Arizona Cardinals do. Because right now I think they're in line for the top pick uh, just by virtue of having lost to the Oakland Raiders, which is fairly difficult to do. So I think if we if we do get the top pick, I think Nick Bosa is, the no, is just the no-brainer guy. I think he is, he is by far the best prospect in this draft. Um, but if they happen to move down to, to two or three, you could look at guys like, like Ed Oliver, you can look at guys like Quinn Williams. You you could look at a guy like Cleveland Farrell, and frankly, any one of those three guys would help. Um, moving on to the second pick, uh, most likely would be the one from the Cowboys. Um, I really like a guy like inside linebacker Devin White from LSU. Uh, I'm not sure he'll be on the board at that point. Uh, so at, at that point, I think we should look at a guy, if White is gone, we should look at a guy like Nikhil Harry, the wide receiver from Arizona State. Uh, he's a guy I think has tremendous hands. He's really reliable. He's a big play guy. He's he just he catches volumes and volumes of passes. He's that sort of almost tight end security blanket like wide receiver who can absolutely take over a game when he when he's you know on the top of his of his play. And in the third pick, I think I'd really like to get Deontay Thompson, the safety from Alabama. His stock has been rising so much so lately. I'm not sure he'll be there, but if he is there, that would be my dream scenario for that Chicago Bears pick. Get those three guys in the first round, I think, would really help to turn the Raiders around very quickly. I, hey, I would not argue with, uh, with the, uh, what you think is a dream scenario. I mean, uh, the best I could do in that situation, is the only dream scenario that I could see is um, the Raiders actually go for the best player available instead of reaching for need. You know, that's a concept, right? That's a concept that people tend to follow. And maybe, and maybe if they trade down to not, to actually get ample compensation and, and maybe not panic and trade up to get a player who will either be there when they pick or who isn't, um, just to pick someone else instead of just needlessly throwing away draft picks. You know, that, that's, that's kind of, if I had a dream scenario, that would be for me. Not that anybody asked me, they asked you. So 
<laughs> All right. Well, the next question for you, Levi, is how many of these players? Oh, by the way, Latif Crooks has asked this. How many of these players on one-year deals are they trying to bring back? Hmm. Okay. Well, I could see a few, a uh, few of these guys coming back. First and foremost, Daryl Worley. Definitely, definitely see him coming back. He's looked very good. He's, uh, you gotta, you love his aggression as a, as a corner. He's got great cover skills. I mean, the, the only reason he was even available is because of that DUI situation. He served a suspension for that and, and it, you know, looks like he could be moving on to bigger and better things, which is a long-term deal. And I could definitely see that in the works for him. Um, I, I think Doug Martin could be back. I, uh, he's looked pretty good. He's kind of at 29. He's he's proving Gruden right for giving him a chance uh, to you know come back. It would be a short term deal. It'd probably be a one maybe two year deal. If it's a two year deal, there isn't going to be anything guaranteed on the on the uh, second year. But uh, I could definitely see him being invited back. Um, maybe Jonathan Hankins. He could be worth a return. Um, is a, you know kind of a competition for that uh, nose tackle. Some insurance for Eddie Vanderdoes if he see if he recovers or if he's the guy that they hope he he could be um i gruden has said that he would like to give martavis bryant another shot though uh that seems a little iffy at this point uh, i'm not sure he it's a question of whether he's how honest he is about kind of wanting to go through the headaches so to speak of uh bryant being on the team uh, a few other guys uh, lower tier guys like uh eric harris i can see uh, he's impressed some bring him back to, um just invite him back on a one-year deal to see if he can compete and, and uh, develop as the safety um kicker at daniel carlson the the guy they brought in the fifth round pick they brought over from the vikings i could um he's looked really good he's made six six straight um field goals he looks kind of like he's got his head right he's playing like a fifth round pick i could see him unseat eddie pinero who was who had the inside track on that job until he got injured and uh and like i said carlson's a fifth rounder so basically he's like uncovering another draft pick at this point so you gotta you gotta love that um if you're john gruden bringing him back and uh all right uh the you got any guys that you can think of that I didn't mention? I think you covered about everybody that I had in mind. Sweet. I'm awesome right now. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Tyler, here's a question for you from Casper Deep. Hell of a name right there. Um, okay. Assuming Carr stays, Derek Carr, that is, I see Nick Bosa being an injury-prone player. Um current injury and family history with Joey Bosa, yada, yada, yada. Do you see Ed Oliver, which I think you mentioned him earlier, or one of the two Alabama defenders or Clemson edge rusher, a better pick at number one overall? Uh, I really don't. I think Nick Bosa is, as I said before, far and away the best player in this draft at any position. I, I think he has a Khalil Mack-like impact on the game. Now, it, it seems silly to, to trade away Khalil Mack and then take the next Khalil Mack with, with your own pick, but that's essentially what the Raiders should do. And, and I hope it is what they do do, uh, because Nick Bosa, hit, when he did play, his impact on the game uh, was just phenomenal. He, he was in the backfield at all times, disrupting all the plays that he was in there for, uh, and it was just tremendous to watch. Um, now, I do like Ed Oliver a lot. If the Raiders want to address defensive tackle, he might be somebody to consider if they don't have the first pick. I wouldn't take Ed Oliver at number one overall um, just because of the presence of Nick Bosa. He's already signed with an agent. He's already done with college. Uh, he's focusing on the draft. 
I don't see him as an injury-prone player either. I mean, we can look at his brother, Joey Bosa, and say, oh, here's a guy who's always hurt. Uh, but I don't necessarily see that applying to Nick, and I don't think you should. That's kind of messed up, actually. <laughs> Come on, Casper D. If it's so messed up, pinning Joey Bosa's injury history on his brother. Yeah, and, and, and if, you wanna, on, if you wanna say, oh, he might be a, a contract issue too, well, you know, just because Joey was, well, we, we gotta look at what the Chargers did to Joey Bosa. They tried to screw him over with some ridiculous language in his contract. Come on, he's not gonna stand for that, and he shouldn't. Yeah. Joey, Joey Bosa did absolutely yeah, the right Chargers thing in his yeah. contract negotiations with the Chargers, uh, and they signed him eventually, and he was absolutely 100% proven right. Uh, I don't think Nick Bosa is going to be a problem. I don't see Nick Bosa as an injury form player. I think he's the guy who got a pretty serious injury, took time off, did the right thing, rehabbed it, and I think he'll be just fine. We'll see him at the Combine. Combine's going to tell us a lot. You know, the draft being a month or two after the Combine, I think two months after the Combine, uh, the Raiders are going to have a lot of time to make up their mind. And if they see Nick Bosa at the Combine or in his pro day, in his private workouts, uh, Look at 100%. He will absolutely be the pick should the Raiders have the number one pick. Um, I love Cleland Farrell, who's the edge rusher from Clemson. Everybody on that Clemson defensive line, and even some of the backups, are going to be day one, day two draft picks. That is the most stacked positional group in a college team I have ever seen in my entire life. And I've been watching college football uh, for about 25 years. The Clemson defense is absolutely ridiculous, but Cleland Farrell is the standout. He, he stands out even amongst other first-round picks on, in his own positional group. That's how good Cleveland Farrell is. So if the Raiders get a pick three or four somehow, if they, if they happen to win another game or two, then Cleveland Farrell wouldn't be a bad choice at number four. Uh, neither would Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver is, um, he is an Aaron Donald type. He's a guy who can take on two or three blockers and still get to the quarterback. I absolutely love it. But his production has fallen a little bit in the latter half of the season. I think he had a nagging injury or two. Uh, Farrell's has not. So if it comes down to Oliver or Farrell, uh, depending on how well the Raiders address defensive tackle in, in free agency or if they think there's other prospects on the board that they could fill the DT position with, and I would go with Farrell uh, if they don't have the number one pick. But if they do, uh, Nick Bosa is no-brainer number one. No question. And, you know, we know that the 49ers and the Cardinals, they have to lose. If they don't lose, Raiders are looking at the probably the third overall pick. So that that could be more of a reality. Nick Bosa could be long gone. Well, not long gone. But yeah, and gone. I, I do think uh, the quarterback class has a lot to do with who's going to go where because the Giants are in that situation as well where they're going to be looking for their quarterback of the future. Now, this is one of the weakest quarterback classes I've seen since the Geno Smith draft. Uh, if Justin Herbert doesn't declare. There's also Daniel Jones from Duke, and there's Drew Locke from Missouri, and those guys will probably both go in the first round, but there's no other prospect nearly anywhere near as good as Justin Herbert in this draft besides uh, besides Jones, I suppose, but he's got a show in the combine that he's got the arm strength to, to make it in the NFL. But the Giants have an interesting choice coming up. It depends on if they keep winning because they've, they've been doing pretty well the last couple of weeks. Uh, so it's all up in the air at this point. No, the thing is, thing is, though, I mean, the Giants want that quarterback. They might have to trade up to get him because the uh, – I mean, I, you, we know that the 49ers and Cardinals, um, they don't – they're not in the market for a quarterback, but they're open they're, – one of them is going to be open for business for somebody who is looking for a quarterback, and the Giants know that. Yeah, the Giants are a funny team because so. they are the only bad team that's in the market for a quarterback in this draft. The rest of them either sign a free agent – 
quarterback last year to be their franchise guy like the Niners, or they drafted their franchise quarterback like the Cardinals uh, and the Bills. So the Giants are that one team who could be in the top five who actually needs a quarterback. But if, if they think someone's going to jump them and try to get Justin Herbert or whoever else is there, then they could pay the moon to get up to the number one or number two spot to get that guy. You mean it wouldn't take just a third round uh, pick? No, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think they might pay a little bit more than that. Wow, wow! I thought I thought third round pick was the going rate for it to trade up a few spots Only to get a franchise if the quarterback. quarterback. Is, is Deion Jordan from Maury? Then they then they would just have to just have to pay that extra pick. You're Josh Rosen. You're talking about Josh Rosen. Oh, you're thinking of Josh Rosen. Oh yeah, well. Yeah, like a little more recent history. Uh, anyway, there are so many Raiders <laughs> draft gaps. I can't keep them all straight in my head, Levi. Yeah, well, to be fair, in that draft with uh, uh, Deion Jordan, that was a weak class. So there wasn't nobody. They Raiders just wanted a second round pick, and they and it's just that's what was, all there was to it. Whatever the if whoever give them a second round pick, we'll take it. We'll move down. Whatever. All right, all right. There's ask one me last question, question here for you. Ragnar the Raider asks. What is your take on what started our demise? And this is multiple choice, and you have lots of choices here. Is it A, Bill Musgrave leading the Raiders? B, signing Derek Carr to a mega deal before addressing Khalil Mack? C, Washington game and the anthem protest effect on team unity? D, Mark's decision to fire Jack Del Rio and company and hire Chucky and company? E, Gruden's off-season transactions? F, Gruden's coaching style? G, Gruden himself? H, Mark Davis himself. I, Reggie McKenzie. G, B. <laughs> There's another G here. I think it should be a J. Uh, next one is the move to Vegas and then the, the Khalil Mack trade. Uh, the letters are all wrong here, but you get the, the options are the same. So which of those things do you think is okay, what right, really right. started our demise, or is it a combination thereof? Well, our demise is, you know, greatly exaggerated. But as far as the Raiders are concerned, I think that I think he hit it on the head with the first one. Hey, um, I think the catalyst for it all was letting go of Bill Musgrave. And I, that's not to say that Bill Musgrave is some kind of like, like, oh, some kind of god or anything. But he was kind of like that first domino. You know, it started them all falling. And Carr had his great 2016 season under Musgrave. And it was the first time that he had ever had the same uh, offensive coordinator two years in a row. And the results of the continuity were obvious. Uh, Carr also had full off season, which, you know, he, he, he didn't have any injuries or anything like that, which, you know, he had that, he had several little injuries that were, that had cost him part of his off season before. So having a full off season was, was important. And he had the same offensive line, all the same receivers, everything was in place. You know, he could have, there, there's, it seemed like there was no, there was nothing that would have stood in his way from duplicating the success he had in 2016 had Musgrave been there. Um, and I guess you could you could wonder that uh, even if Musgrave was there, that the what was one of the other options they had was that Washington game. So like the uh, you could you could argue that okay, so Musgrave is here, everything's the same. But then there was that Washington game. Everything happened at Washington, you're right? Everything came crashing down. And you could make that argument that it uh, that would have torn it down anyway. A lot of the fans have long wondered and. Uh, uh, it, it, based on a few of the questions in the mailbag, there were a lot of questions about that. People, people want to know how much of a turning well, point won, that game what, like was. Four games total um, since though, then. How many games have they won since they went to the nation's capital on that prime yeah. game? No, it's a, it's a legitimate. It's a legitimate question. They looked, they looked competitive. I think they, I think they won their first two games that season. You know, 
Marshawn was dancing on the sideline. Everything looked hunky-dory, and then they go to Washington, everything falls apart, and it never gets put back together again. Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about what went down uh, on that day in Washington, but um, I know one thing. There is no way in hell any of Derek Carr's linemen intentionally let him get hurt. That's the, that notion has been downright absurd since the moment it was first uttered by a hack radio personality. And uh, one thing seems clear is there, there was a bond that was broken that day. And unfortunately, that bond, it seems like to be pretty fragile, actually. I mean, for all the, you know, Derek Carr talking about the, they love him like a brother and everybody's just some one big happy family. It fell apart pretty easily. And the slightest pressure kind of makes you, makes you wonder if the good times this team was having weren't going to last all that long anyway. You know, that uh, regardless of what happened in the Washington game, I think it might have been just for all the team. Uh, if, if everything fell apart that day, maybe they just saw something they didn't see before. That was there all along. And there just wasn't, it was, you know, maybe it was just a little too superficial, The uh, this idea that they were just uh, great and everything. And uh, once that the luster wore off, everything, you know, that and that was all that was holding this team together and making it successful. That wasn't looked at as the issue because of Todd Downing. You know, there was a, with Todd Downing, there was a built-in excuse for why the struggles on offense. Well, because he was the only major change. Had Bill Musgrave come along, if everything was the same, then you would have had to say, well, what was it instead of something else? But when everything fell apart, it's like, well, what's the one thing that's different? Musgrave's not here. Todd Downing's here instead. And that fact made it easy for Gruden to come to Mark Davis or for Mark Davis to go to Gruden and say that the answer to all of his issues on offense was to hire him. So you can see how uh, yeah, Musgrave started that and got, it led to, uh, one thing led to another and it led to Gruden um, coming to coming to the Raiders and uh, and then of course you figure if uh, Del Rio was still the head coach getting Mac re-signed would have been the utmost priority and probably would have gotten done I mean Del Rio is a defensive coach he had uh, spent a couple of years on the team with Khalil Mack you know there was a relationship there he understood the value of Khalil Mack and he absolutely would have pushed with everything <laughs> to get him back and uh, we just you know we just didn't see that happen with uh with Gruden coming in. So that's that actually is a few of the things, a few of the options. The answer is Bill Musgrave because the question was what's the thing that started it all? But I think you want to look at like the mileposts that as they kept tumbling down, you know, you, you go from Musgrave to the Washington game, the you know, losing Khalil Mag. I think those are the big ones that uh, kind of led to where we are now. All right. So um for you, Tyler, Arch Raider asks, is Reggie McKenzie as bad a drafter as he is made out to be. Seems like I saw a write-up comparing his picks to the rest of the AFC West, and he compared favorably um, guys in the league still. I, I also see a lot of busts around the league. Uh, our Darius Stewart, Jets pick at number 79. He was the guy that was just on the Raiders practice squad and was just released today as it happens. Um, how does Reggie really compare when you look objectively around the league where every team seems to have a mixed bag. Well, I'm, of glad drafts. Brought, I'm glad you brought this, this question oh, up okay. because uh, he did read a write up about Reggie's draft success. Uh, and I know because I wrote it. Uh, I did uh, some research on the success of his draft picks and their longevity in the league compared to those of our, our divisional rivals. Uh, and Reggie does compare quite favorably. In fact, he's, he's overall the best drafter we have in the division right now. Uh, but prior to the last Broncos draft, 
the last five Broncos drafts were absolutely god-awful. There's basically nobody still on the team from any of those drafts. I think Bradley Roby might be the only one. Uh, and Shane Ray, who's a walking living meme right now, as the greatest of all time, Shane Ray, which is a, a joke we have on the blog at his expense, I think he's on, still on the team, but basically nobody else is. Now, last year, the, the Denver Broncos draft was absolutely fantastic, and I loved it, and I hated them for doing it. Uh, but prior to that, not quite so much. The Chiefs are sort of the same way. Uh, the Chiefs had a pretty decent draft last year, especially in the later rounds. Uh, but before that, uh, not really. Not really. They might have got one or two good stars. They got Kareem Hunt. Um, uh, but that's basically all that they've had. Uh, Chris Jones is a good player. Um, but other than those two guys, it, it's really been bereft of stars. Uh, the Chargers are kind of the opposite. The Chargers have drafted really, really, really good players. Uh, and they've gotten really, really, really hurt before the season even begins in most cases. So the, the Chargers guys have been bust not because they're terrible, but because they haven't played very much. Uh, Reggie, on the other hand, he hasn't had a lot of success in the second round other than Derek Carr. Uh, his first-round guys are, at the very least, mostly still on the team for the most part. Uh, and he was sort of behind the eight ball when he first started because we didn't have any top picks. Um, but the guys that he did take, they stuck around for at least a little bit. Uh, and so comparatively, he's actually pretty good. Um, it might be a moot point. <laughs> Uh, at this point in Raider history, just because of the hiring of John Gruden. Um, but you can't really point to, in my opinion, you can't point to the drafting uh, of Reggie McKenzie and say that that's the problem with the team. I think it has a lot more to do with the development of the players once they're on the team uh, and, and sheer dumb bad luck uh, than anything that Reggie has done outside of the second round. I think a lot of his second round guys were reaches. Um, but in the late rounds, he really made up for it with some absolute gems. Uh, so I think if Reggie does move on, whatever team snaps him up, uh, we'll have we'll have a pretty good thing to work with there as far as putting him in charge of their draft room. All right, I have I don't have anything to add on that except uh, I guess to say that uh, I've never really been a big fan of the idea of late round picks making up for early round picks. I mean I think it does speak highly of a guy who can get great value in the later rounds, but why can't he get uh, great picks in the early rounds too you know anyway but uh, that concludes our mailbag podcast this week thanks for listening once again my name is Levi Damien this is Tyler Smith and we will see you next time in the silver and black pride cast Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs> <laughs>